Welcome to episode 30 of the Dipshit Files. I'm Mr. Scriptkeeper. And I'm Mrs. Keeper. And this is basically our Halloween special. Yep. And yep. we're talking kind of vampires. We are. We're definitely talking vampires. We're yep. talking about New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about the story of the casket girls. Yeah. So let's get right to this week's Dipshit Files. <laughs> Evil beings who roam the world at night searching for people whose blood they can feed upon. They may be the best known classic monsters of all time. Most people associate vampires with Count Dracula, the legendary blood-sucking subject of Bram Stoker's epic novel Dracula, which was published in 1897. But the history of vampires began long before Stoker was born. Vampire superstition thrived in the Middle Ages, especially as the plague decimated entire towns. The disease often left behind bleeding mouth lesions on its victims, which, to the uneducated, was a sure sign of vampirism. Right. It's not uncommon for anyone with an unfamiliar physical or emotional illness to be labeled a vampire. Many researchers have pointed to porphyria, and it's, that's a blood disorder that can cause severe blisters on the skin when exposed to sunlight yeah. as a disease that may have been linked to the vampire legend. Of course. Some symptoms of porphyria can be temporarily relieved by ingesting blood. Yeah. Other diseases blamed for promoting the vampire myth include rabies or goiter. Now, although modern science has silenced the vampire fears of the past, People who call themselves vampires do exist. It's part of a healthy goth phase. They're normal-seeming people who drink small amounts of blood in a perhaps misguided effort to stay healthy. Feels a bit misguided. Some modern vampires don't ingest human blood, but claim to feed off the energy of others. Narcissists. Many state that if they don't feed regularly, they become agitated or depressed. Narcissists. Vampires became mainstream after Dracula was published. Since then... Count Dracula's legendary persona has been the topic of many films, books, and television shows. Sparkly ones. Or, as we will soon hear, a story that's woven into the very history of a major city in the U.S. Boom. Are vampires really part of history? Or are they just mythical creatures or urban legends? Mainly that. Well, I've dug around and found a very interesting tale Tangled in the fabric of our own history. Well, that's immediately injected into our ears. Happy Halloween. Is there such thing as real vampires in America? Today's story comes straight out of New Orleans. Of course it does. When some people think about New Orleans, they think about vampires. I think Drew Brees. Is that weird? Vampire lore has lived for hundreds of years in the city, especially in the French Quarter, the oldest area of New Orleans. Get off my delta. In 2017... A study was done by Louisiana State University doctoral candidate John Edgar Browning, and he stated that at least 50 real vampires walk the streets of New Orleans. He claimed that, although vampires have a reputation for blood-sucking and mayhem, 
They're pretty much just regular folks. But they all ended up being lawyers or politicians. The city even has its very own New Orleans Vampire Association. Probably should keep an eye on them. These are people who claim they have a medical condition which requires them to drink blood, human or animal, in order to sustain themselves. Keep a couple eyes on them, maybe. What about New Orleans attracts the mythical and real vampires of the world? It could have something to do with the fact that New Orleans is one of the most unique places in the United States, right. if not the world. Right. New Orleans gives you the feeling of walking down the street of an old world European town. That also might be the capstone to a vortex to hell. Having passed through so many hands, the city showcases the influences of these many cultures in its food, music, and architecture. The city even offers what are called vampire tours. Getting that spoopy money. Their guides are excellent storytellers, but most don't find themselves legitimately creeped out until the very last stop on the tour. There, the group will find themselves standing in front of an expansive neoclassic French colonial-style building, the Ursulines Convent, located at 1100 Chartres Street. It is here the tour guide begins a tale, the legend of the casket girls and the belief that has existed in New Orleans for over 200 years about their vampiric connections. Right. So let's go back. Okay. Back into a time when New Orleans was a city in its infancy. The city was filled with men, mostly soldiers and builders, and these men had been causing some problems by chasing around the native women at no, the time. No way. Yeah, the founders of the city realized that they really needed to do something. They needed to bring good French women to the city so that they could marry these guys and mellow them out. They needed these women to marry these men, have babies, and start families because you can't build the population of a city with only men. That so sound, that sounds good on paper, <laughs> uh, right? Not, not actually, but right. In essence, it's like, well, there should be also women, but they, <laughs> the women have to want to go there, right? Exactly. Okay, I feel like. Oh. Well, they asked France for young women of childbearing age. <laughs> They're like, no. Yeah, yeah. France uh, no, actually no. sent them. Yeah, they actually sent them. However, uh. when the women arrived in 1728 and stepped off the ship, the men who were watching and eagerly anticipating the arrival of these women, they whispered to each other how pale and sickly they looked. Oh, no. When the sun touched their skin, it would actually blister. Each woman brought with her a large casket that allegedly held her belongings. What? Exactly. At first, the women were sent to the Ursuline's convent to be taught and cared for by the nuns until they were ready for marriage. The nuns were told that the casket they had brought with them needed to be stored and not opened until they were married. So the nuns placed them on the third floor of the convent in the attic of the building for safekeeping until that time. But later, when they went to open the boxes, which had been full and heavy when they arrived, the nuns would find out they were now completely empty. Hmm. The nuns chatted and came to the conclusion that the French girls had been traveling with the undead. <laughs> their undead companions, and that the convent had been unwittingly playing host to vampires. At oh, night... That sounds plausible now, doesn't right, it? Right, right. Let's just jump right there. I think. At, at night, the vampires would leave their coffins, exit through the windows of the attic, and prowl the city to feed before returning to the third floor before the sun rose. 
So, proactively, the nuns blessed the convent while the vampires were running free one night and then sealed the attic windows by nailing them shut with nails that had been blessed by the Pope in Rome. Well, I'm sure that nailed the hell out of those nails. <laughs> nailed the hell out of them. This would prevent the creatures from returning to the safety of their coffins at daybreak, and hopefully the rising sun would put an end to the evil in their lives. <laughs> All sounds so plausible. Right? Sounds absolutely factual. Now, this legend varies as to whether the girls brought the vampires with them or if they were the vampires themselves. Since the sun was blistering their skin. Right. Mm. Perhaps their nocturnal activities had been raising eyebrows in France and they needed to get the heck out of there and find a new unclaimed territory in which to hunt. I you know, there's a possibility. I think they likely had scurvy. <laughs> but sorry. In front of the Ursulines convent, which granted is pretty creepy at night, the tour guide states that New Orleans locals will not walk by the building between the hours of 12 a.m. and 6 a.m. They believe that those original caskets to this day are still locked away in the attic of the convent behind shuttered windows that are never opened. The general public is welcome to walk through the historical building with a tour. But not in there. But no one is allowed at the third floor attic. Dun, dun, dun. The only person who has access is the Monsignor, and the five windows are never opened, even in the extreme southern heat. During Hurricane Katrina, gusts of winds reached 174 miles an hour, and one of the shutters blew off one of the third floor windows, exposing the darkness inside. According to the tour guide, while the city was still being evacuated, they flew someone in from the Vatican to bring new nails blessed by the Pope. Oh, my Lord. And to oversee the resealing of that window. Awesome. There's also a story of two ghost hunters from the 1970s who hid in the courtyard of the convent one night. Oh, here we go. They had previously spotted a shutter partially open, and they were hoping to get confirmation that vampires were actually living in the attic. <laughs> oh, this way, dude, we're going to finally prove that there's vampires here in New Orleans. Yeah, I'm kind of having second thoughts. We're just here with our dress shoes on. No, we're going to be legends, dude. Yeah, but what if there are vampires? What do you mean? I mean, we don't have any garlic. I mean, do you have a steak on you? Oh, I got this Bible. Well, do you have like a pocket knife? I've got this map of the city. We're kind of shitty vampire hunters. Well, the next day their bodies were found. Oh no. Drained of blood. Oh no. The official story is that the third floor attic holds storage. Yeah, two dead ill-equipped vampire hunting brothers storage. As the building is now the headquarters of the Archdiocese of New Orleans. Illuminati suspected. Storage, and that is it. But those who believe there's something more to it have investigated themselves pouring over plans of the building to get an idea of how this attic is built. So let's dig deeper and find out if there's any truth to the legend of the Casket Girls and how it became such an important legend to the people of New Orleans. So, New Orleans was founded by Jean-Baptiste Lemoyne de Bienville. Yeah, my middle name is Tom. Born in Montreal, New France, which is now Canada, to French colonist parents. Bienville and his brother Iberville went on an expedition to establish a new French colony, Louisiana. In 1699, they explored the Gulf Coast region and founded the French settlement, which is today Mobile, Alabama. But it was once the capital of the Louisiana colony. Hmm. 
1717, Bienville wrote to France to tell them that he had discovered an area on the Mississippi River nestled in the Crescent Bend. He thought this area was better than the previously discovered areas because of its location. It would be protected from tidal surges and hurricanes. (laughs) And it was also located perfectly for trade between the settlements and having a military presence in the area would allow the French to control the mouth of the Mississippi. He proposed moving the capital from Mobile to this new land, which he called Nouveau-Orleans, or New Orleans. So he's the one. There were already occupants living there when Bienville and his brother claimed this land for France. That sounds like American history. Mm -hmm. The Chittimacca tribe had been living there for thousands of years. But within two years of discovery, the town was built up enough for occupants and Bienville began moving the settlers and supplies from the Mobile location to the new capital. Hmm. Nice place you got there. I know, well, right? I'm just going to take that. Thank you. So, uh, just so you know, in my research, I didn't write this in my script, but the Chittimacca tribe were actually a um, cannibalistic tribe. Oh. So, in order to take over this space, there was a lot of uh, terrible things that both sides did to each other. Hmm. Uh, although, as far as I know, the French didn't eat the natives no but there was a lot of that going on right so you know there was there was a lot of battle here and they took over the land so human, human history sucks ass it's, well human blood and semen everywhere humans suck ass yes. so in 1721 the 11 by 7 square block rectangular french quarter was designed located on the highest ground in the city the early population that settled in new orleans was a little rough around the edges so they were soldiers fur traders Uh, trappers, miners. The French government also sent some of its prison population to the city. Now, little Australia kind of vibe there. Right, right. So this wasn't uncommon in days of colonization. Foreign governments have been using the Americas as dumping grounds for their undesirables for as long as the colonies have existed. Kind of makes sense why they look at us the way we do. I know. Possibly how we act, perhaps. So maybe. Essentially, in its early days, like you said, Australia was a penal colony created for England to send their prisoners. <laughs> Between 1788 and 1868, 162,000 convicts were transported from Britain. My dearest king, eh. remember when we sent all those prisoners away eh. to those distant lands? Man. Well, they survived and they all think we're cunts. Man. They also seem to really, really like guns. Man. But before that, England sent its criminals to the American colonies, only starting to send them to Australia on the verge of the Revolutionary War. Real quick, that makes sense as to why Aaron Judge can hit 62 home runs in a year and then go for like 0 for 11 for a little bit. It was during the playoffs and have the entire city of New York boo him like he's a goddamn traitor to the country. I'm just saying. Uh, and I uh, love New York, and I love the New York fans, and they're they're, they're cheering. But, uh, anywho, that explains some shit, doesn't it? It's, we're the descendants of cunts. That's yeah, okay. Sorry. Well, we totally digressed there. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that little bit of history in there. I thought that was interesting. It is. So, the majority of the people living in New Orleans at this time were men. The dirtiest and stinkiest of <laughs> men, I'm sure. Yes, mostly, quote-unquote, uncivilized men. <laughs> men who had been chasing around the Native women to fulfill their needs and that was causing some tension between the tribes and the colonists obviously yeah in order to keep the settlers happy and to transform this rough colony into a flourishing city they needed to do something 
they needed to give these men women mm. to keep them busy. Give them women. Yep. But they had to be good women. Oh, yeah. Okay? Yeah. They had to be like high caliber. Yeah, good. Not, not those off the shelf model right, women. Right. We want, you know, Top nice shelf, custom. Yeah. Good French women That's who right. would temper these men and turn them into good husbands and fathers. Ugh. But who's going to leave their comfortable and established life in France and sail halfway around the world to live in a new place, marry a man they've never met, and settle down in a town that's barely functioning? Some people did, though, huh? Right, right. So, well, some interesting, unscrupulous folk, I bet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Well, Adventurers, too, obviously. That's where the French government came in. Mm. The casket girls mm. were not the first reported incident of women being sent to the colonies for purposes of marriage and childbirth it had been attempted before so the colony of new france which today is quebec in canada first started taking in women to stimulate its population growth in 1634 Mm -hmm. but these girls were not what you would consider marriage material right france had just basically emptied out its prisons and brothels stuck these women on a boat and said have a nice fucking life (laughs) so obviously this first attempt failed and the colony turned directly to the king to ask for help they asked him to send better women who would make good wives. Yeah, you need to tell the king to take these women back. What do you mean? They're fine. Find that one's cutting a guy right there for no reason. Give me a word. Oh, but she was in prison for stabbing. Yeah, would you ask for some non-stabbers, please? These women Goodness. had to be between the ages of 12 and 25. What? Okay, I know it was a different time. This is terrible. <laughs> and they had to carry a letter of recommendation from their home parish. Sweet God, that's like a, a guarantee. That's like... Yeah. Well, it comes with a warranty. She's got yeah, a warranty on exactly. her. Exactly. So this group of 768 women were called Les Filles du Roi, mm-hmm. or the King's Daughters. Mm-hmm. Their passage to the New World was paid for by King Louis. Uh, about 737 of these women were married and led to a population increase that directly contributed to the success of that colony. Now there's millions of people over there. Yeah, some were single women, some were orphans, but they'd all been promised a new and better life in the French colony. Hmm. The next group of women to be sailed over, they went to the Americas. They were called the Pelican Girls. Hmm. They arrived in Biloxi after Bienville had requested the king to send him some girls. Send me some women. Damn. So, right. So basically, Bienville had heard about this great success in Montreal and Quebec, and he was like, Where are my girls? Where are my women, King Louis? Where are my girls at? Now, guys, this one's for you. Are you tired of the madness of loneliness gnawing at your insides yeah. as you eke away a new life on someone else's land? That's exactly it. Well, fucking I, we've got the product for you. I'm listening. Why, it's the Human Woman 1700. Whoa. It can cook, clean, it will do the sex. I'm in. And sometimes make more humans. Well, does it have any complications? Oh, my God, yeah. What? Oh, you're in for a treat. What? The Human Woman 1700 from PeopleCo. Sizes, makes, models, and mileage may vary. Special financing available. Cooking and cleaning not guaranteed. Human female. Email 1700 by People Co. It's okay to be a cunt to people because we'll make more. Well, we're making them as fast so as we can. So he wrote to the king, quote, His Majesty should send by that ship girls to be married to the Canadians and others who have begun habitations at Mobile in order that this colony can firmly establish itself. Each of these girls should be raised in virtue and piety and know how to work, which will render them useful in the colony by showing the Indian girls what they can do. For there's no point in sending other than a virtue known and without reproach. 
These are end some, quote. This is a pretty high bar. Fucking pompous ass. Yeah, this is a. Ugh. He's asking for some pretty interesting right, things right. on top of being just a piece of shit. He's just a fucking piece cat. of shit. So essentially, he wanted pure women who were untouched by any man or the devil, and these girls were handpicked. They were between the ages of fourteen and seventeen. But because he had such strict conditions on how these girls should be, he didn't get almost 800 women. He got 23. (laughs) And And they were pissed. This became an issue, obviously, as there were many, many men and only 23 women. So the men were fighting. They were fighting over these women, and the women were not fucking happy with their surroundings. (laughs) The veterans of the colony, the people who have been living there since its inception, They were used to the really bad food, but the Pelican girls rebelled against what they were being given to eat and how they were expected to sleep and to live. Some of these women who initially lived in Biloxi would eventually migrate to New Orleans, so Bienville hired this man named John Law. Now, John Law was the epitome of an opportunist. Mm. He had created this corporation called the Mississippi Company to develop a monopoly with the French colonies of North America and the West Indies. Using his company, Law essentially tried to solve Bienville's problems by kidnapping women off the streets of France. Okay. These women were alone. They didn't have anybody who would miss them. They were begging in the streets or working in brothels. This guy's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to save the day. I'm the Batman of this era, and I'm stealing women from France. Exactly. But Mm -hmm. most of them... They had not gone willingly to the Americas. Some of them did volunteer for the trip, but only after being fed a lie that they were headed for someplace better than their current circumstances. They were told that they would lead simple lives, but they would lead happy lives, and they would always have a warm bed and a full belly. How'd that turn out? So to women who were living on the streets and trying to figure out where their next meal was going to come from, this obviously would be a very attractive offer. However, when they arrived in New Orleans, they realized that they had been unfortunately misled. They were literally handed over to men who would go on to abuse them, cram them into small huts with no furnishings. They would swelter in the intense heat, and they would never have enough to eat because there was a shortage of livestock and crops. Most arrived already very sick from the long voyage, some of them showing signs of venereal disease, some had malnutrition, and a lot of them would die after settling in their new home. In 1721, Bienville wrote to the king again, requesting more women, because you handled the last group so fucking well, dude. Right. Well, he's learning. It's a learning process. It's a learning process. Yikes. He said the men were out of control. They were having affairs with the natives, and we wouldn't want that. These men were scoundrels who lived without any rules or law. They needed good women to come in and straighten them out. Yikes. It's often reported that the king himself founded this new group of women, but in fact, he had died in 1715, and it was the Parisian government who decided to honor Bienville's request. Even though the year before, a royal edict had forbidden any more French prisoners from being shipped to the colonies. Enter the Baleen Brides. Okay. Now, these were women found at the La Salt-Petriere... General Hospital. I know I mispronounced that. <laughs> this institution was built in 1565 by Louis the Fourteenth to house 50,000 of Paris's beggars, thieves, and other outcasts. 
1684, a women's prison wing and a remand home for minors was also added. Women who were held there endured terrible living conditions and were imprisoned for offenses, listen to this list, such as witchcraft, Protestantism, insanity, immoral speech, poisoning, murder, prostitution, and debauchery. Hmm. That's a loose vague term. Right, exactly. So these women, or should I say girls, ranged in ages from 12 to 30, and they sailed on the ship Labellum. And when they arrived in the New World, they were most likely just happy to be out of that terrible institution that they'd been kept in and off the horrible boat they'd spent months on. Yeah. Anything would they, wanted, have, they just wanted an orange. Like, <laughs> I have scurvy. Somebody give me an orange. <laughs> Anything would have been better. And some believe that it is among this group of girls that the casket girls legend was born. But how much of that is true? All of it. In fact, these women would not arrive on this ship with large coffin-sized boxes. That's just what we Americans think of when we hear the word casket, because to us, a casket is synonymous with a coffin. Right. These girls were actually carrying cassettes. Now, I did a little bit of research on this, and I I found what they are. It was hard to do. Our boy helped us on this research. Well, they used to be really cool. You used to put them into a little tape player. Not a cassette. I know that's all I could come up with on the internet. Right. Cassettes were actually little wooden boxes with handles on the sides. Okay. Uh, not little. They were large boxes. But not big enough to fit a, a body. No, 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 no. So they were they were boxes that the ladies would have been able to hold and carry on their own. So in this box, they would have placed the things that they were given in order to start their new lives. And when they disembarked off after their long journey... They would have looked incredibly pale and sickly, of course. They were on a boat for however many months. Most likely kept below deck with little or no access to sunlight and a limited supply of fresh water and food. Some may have contracted tuberculosis during the voyage, too, which isn't uncommon during that period of time, Hmm. causing them to cough up blood, adding to the vampire legend. But so how did the Ursuline nuns get wrapped up in all of this? Good question. Tell us. (laughs) It doesn't even appear that the Ursuline nuns arrived in New Orleans until after the Caskey girls had already been there for several years. They built their first convent in 1734, but it was built on swampland. And within 10 years, it was abandoned when the floor started sinking and the walls started shifting due to the soft ground upon which it was built. That's going to be weird. Right in the middle of a prayer. It's like, okay. Uh, I know it's listing. (laughs) (laughs) The current Ursuline convent is on Chartres Street, which was built in 1745. The one with that third floor attic that the vampires were locked in. The timing certainly doesn't work if we're to believe that the casket girls who arrived in 1721 would have been holding on to their vampire companions in their tiny huts until the first convent was built in 1734, or that second 10 years after that. Louis XV had requested that some nuns should be sent from France to the New Orleans colony in order to build a convent there and hopefully bring some order to the absolute chaos that existed in the city. There were 12 nuns initially, and they cared for the sick and started schools for the young girls. So the nuns would have arrived in New Orleans after the casket girls, and they would have built their convent long after these women would most likely have married off already. 
But still, it is interesting to speculate and wonder what if. So when the Ursuline sisters first arrived to the city, their initial convent wasn't built and ready for them yet. So they had to live in another house in the city until the convent was ready. So during my research, I found an author uh, named Marita Woywad Crandall. She wrote the book New Orleans Vampires. Hmm. She's actually been one of the very few people outside of the church who's been allowed into that attic of the Ursuline convent. Hmm. She wasn't able to publish a lot of what she experienced in her book, but she did talk about it on her website. So when she went on her tour, the tour guide that was given to her explained to her that, no, the convent attic had never been used for storage. In fact, it had six bed chambers up there, and they were built initially for orphans. But when Marita went up to the attic, she found it strange that it seemed empty for the most part since storage was so scarce it is so scarce in the french quarter and here was the most expansive space just kind of left empty marita would also discover that aside from these new now vacant bed chambers there was an additional room in the attic the first room they entered it was a normal size room aside from portions of the floor that were just missing that's kind of weird. Mm. Portions that, according to Marita, were just the right size for coffins hey. to have been stored there. That final and additional room, that one was the strangest. It was the only one with brick floors, and it seemed darker and smaller than the other rooms. But most creepy of all, the most creepy part, there were heavy chains hanging from a beam in the ceiling. Okay. Right. Lifting shit? Marita also noticed that the door to the room was a Dutch door. So basically, uh, this is a door designed so that you can open the top half, but the bottom half remains closed. Hmm. It was the only room up there that had that kind of door. Not to mention the only one that had chains hanging from the ceiling. Well, they could have been collecting circus animals. You I mean, don't know. Well, there is an explanation zoo, here. Zoo so creatures. when Marita asked her guide what the door's purpose was, she was told that it had been installed by the Ursuline sisters or the Ursuline nuns so they could stay safe from the room's occupants. Now, now I know what you're thinking. Vampires, right? Right. Right? I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe. <laughs> Vampires. It's However, a lot of money to invest in, in like a thing that you're like, I haven't ever seen a vampire, but fucking let's start building right. fortifications. Well, the guide explained to Marita that there weren't only orphans being held in the attic. In its early days, the mentally ill were often housed there as well, hmm. and they would be kept in that room, hence the brick floor. So evidently, wood floors would absorb bodily fluids mm-hmm. and make it harder to clean, but brick floors could just be sprayed off. Hmm. The chains were there to restrain them, and the Dutch door made it easy for the nuns to pass food over to them and whatever it was they needed without actually having to physically go in the room and put themselves in danger from the mentally insane. Hmm. Marita also shared that her tour guide said that Katrina had done a lot of damage to the attic, and they just didn't have the funds at this time to do the repairs. 
so it's mostly empty. All vampires should be rich. Count Spankula, it's hey. so good to see you. I appreciate you seeing me, Count Facula. We vampires must stick together. I was just saying that. What could I do for you? I need 50 Gs. For what? What do you mean for what? For fucking bills? You've been alive for a hundred generations. Yes, so? Do you not have savings account? At one point. And what do you want from me? Have you heard of compound interest? Are you going to give me the 50 Gs and just bust my boss? They don't put anything in there, really. It's not like it's packed full of storage, but Marita said... Uh, that she got this feeling while she was in the attic that there had been something there, but it was actually removed right before she was invited up. She just felt weird about it. Something was off. Marita would also share her thoughts about the time discrepancies uh, between when the casket girls arrived in New Orleans and when the Ursuline sisters would arrive in New Orleans. Remember when I said that when the nuns first arrived in the city, they didn't have a convent yet, so they had to wait for one to be built? And they had to find somewhere else to live right, yeah. until it was finished. Well, when the convent was ready, they didn't just move quietly from their temporary home to their new home. This was weird. Uh-oh. They threw a fucking parade, essentially, <laughs> okay. complete with small children dressed like angels. But what was weird about this procession was it really went against the grain of what the Ursuline nuns would usually do. Hmm. They traveled everywhere in covered carriages. They didn't walk around like in the open like normal people. Everywhere they went, they were in covered carriages. You know what I so, think? They, they found some mushrooms, mm-hmm. and they all ate those mushrooms thinking, they're like, oh, let's just have some mushrooms with our salad. <laughs> and no, those weren't the right mushrooms. And they're like, you know what? We've been kind of oppressing ourselves. We need to let down a little bit. Let our hair out. Get some sun. Let's well, have a parade. Fucking parade. Mushrooms. Mm, well, the Ursuline nuns weren't seen a lot. That's just where we're at. So for them to walk they're in doing this. doing mushrooms in the house. They're like, I'm tripping balls. I'm having a great time in the inner universe. For them to Sorry. walk in this procession in full view of the public for that long, it was definitely rebellious, which was against their nature. Ah, okay. It was definitely against the grain. And allegedly, this was done basically to signal to the community, God's in town now. And we're his soldiers and we're going to enforce his rules you guys better straighten your shit up okay that's not probably mushrooms right right. right but others speculate that they put on this whole procession to distract people from what was traveling with them mushroom eaters <clears throat> evidently there were many long boxes covered up being rolled through the streets behind the nuns in this procession and some believe that these boxes contain the casket girls or the visitors that the casket girls had brought with them. You know what I bet it was? Hmm. Booze. <laughs> they were just bootlegging that booze. They were bringing the caskets with them to the new convent so they could protect the city from the havoc that would certainly be brought down on it if these creatures were allowed to roam right. and left up to their own devices. Mm-hmm. Marita also debunked the story about the third floor attic window flying open during Hurricane Katrina and having to have somebody flown in from the Vatican to bless the nails that that nailed it shut again. Yeah, that wasn't true. Right. Now, well... It's not beyond belief, though. It would have been something, that's for sure. And it's it doesn't not that, sound like it's above... You no, know, she's... Marita said there's no proof of this. There's no evidence of it. It's just a story that's told. So, it's just this It's thing. a good story. So... And we'd believe it, wouldn't we? Most of us. Mm. We're like, oh, yeah, that's the Pope sent out a guy on a little golden plane. Oh, for to, what? Oh, to use magic nails on vampires. Sounds good. Pass the plate around. And where it's reported that the casket girls that came to New Orleans, this story is often varied about where they came from. Some say 
The casket girls were part of the Baleen Brides Group, and they migrated from Mobile to New Orleans. Others say the women arrived separately, and they came right to New Orleans, and nobody really knew who sent them or why they were there. But there's one thing I can say for sure. These women, the casket girls, the Baleen Brides, the Pelican Girls, what have you, they are considered to be the mothers of New Orleans. Mm. Many people who live in the city today are proud to trace their lineage back to these women, these these brave, pioneering, and trailblazing females who were basically thrown around as yeah. if they were possessions, yeah. who were handed over to strange men, who were promised a better life, but sold like fake, you know, sold, uh, they were sold a fake bill of goods. And we get zero of their names, really. Right. We, we don't get, know any of who they are, really. Yeah. And they have, they're not celebrated in, in mm-hmm. any way. And they're well, some really were, marginalized, actually. Yep. Some I've were, studied a lot of history, and that's that's very rare that you've come across. I mean, you have to study mm-hmm. all history and stuff, but uh, it's definitely not in American history in any kind mm-hmm. of overview, even in the higher level stuff. Mm-mm. Shit, bro. Well, some of these women were kidnapped. Some of them were lied to. Some of them were abused and beaten. You know, so when I was writing this, I, I would not have blamed a single one of them if they wanted to turn into a vampire and no take shit. revenge on like, the entire city. You guys are all predators, so yes. uh, turning the tables. Well, the Ursuline's convent and the Ursuline nuns were also extremely important to the development of the city. These women did good work building schools and helping those in need when they arrived in the city. Some might even say that New Orleans was built on the hard work and sacrifice of these two groups of women. I know it's hard to think about these times in history when women were treated like property, were basically treated like an inanimate object that could be traded or sold. And it's also hard to think about that third floor of the Ursuline convent where the tour guide who spoke to Marita basically told her that the mentally insane would be kept there, Mm -hmm. locked up and chained to the wall. It's really disturbing to think about the way that we in this country and in other countries used to treat the mentally ill yeah. and women. Yeah. But you know what? The Ursuline nuns did what they could. They worked with, with what they were given. Uh, they did what they were taught. So we can't really blame them either. However, I don't think New Orleans would be the city it is today without these two groups of badass women mm-hmm. who had to make the best of what they were given. Indeed. So, vampires in New Orleans? Huh? Nah. Or a centuries-old urban legend created from yes. fear and miscommunication yeah. during the time of uncertainty for yes. a new city? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you to decide. No, I decided. Uh, I don't know. I kind of like the lore just as it is, I personally. Like it is interesting. It's kind of creepy and definitely interesting to think about. New Orleans has some vampire vibes. It does. It's, yep. a, it's a cool, cool place. Absolutely. I want to go there. I know. I, I want to go there. What, tomorrow? Fine. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, you know, what we could do is just talk about this on the other side of this sound thingy. The sound thingy? Yeah. Okay. So what do our dipshits really think about this week's dipshits? And who were the dipshits at? So, okay. I'm curious. I'm curious. Well. Uh, with this script, how much of New Orleans, uh, the original history, did you know about? Mm-hmm. I've looked into it a little bit, mm-hmm. and I liked I, I like American history, so I've looked I into know. it a bit, uh, and then especially like Montreal and, and Quebec and, mm-hmm. and those uh, the loose women that came up there, but uh, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. But I learned a lot from this one for sure, mm-hmm. especially about I, I heard nothing about those uh, the casket girls. Yeah, I, I, 
the founding of a country, the way you kind of put it, or the founding of a state or mm-hmm. a city, uh, it, those people get pushed to the side. Really, all the normal, mm-hmm. all the normies get pushed aside, and it's always like, well, this duke yeah. he had a bunch of money, right. and that's how everything was happening. That's right. how things happened, and you're like, hey, what? Yeah, exactly. Well, I was just curious because um, being able to, I, I did quite a bit of digging in the history of New Orleans to kind of find a lot of this stuff, and it took me out of the U.S. It took me to Australia. It yeah. took me to, to France. France. Uh, it took England. me to Canada. They're not even a real country anyway. So there's some really interesting topics in there. Now, you had never heard of the Casket Girls. Mm-mm. Okay. How about the Pelican Girls? Uh, no. no. The, ba- the Baleen Brides. The Baleen Brides is what I think I've heard of. And that's, I'm not, but that's the King's Daughters. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, but that's France sending people mm-hmm. over. And to I think Quebec. That's, yeah, yeah. That's what I've heard of. And right. Yeah. The Feed the Wall. Well, it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting research for me. And what really kind of turned me on to this is I had seen um, an article about vampires in New Orleans and the real vampires of New Orleans. And I kind of was like, what the fuck? Real? Yeah. I want to see. This How is dare probably you? clickbait. Right. So I looked on there and. It totally was. They were talking talking about all kinds of shit but the casket girls were mentioned thank you clickbait but they weren't explained hmm. so i was like what what is this yes. so i started looking into it and you know i found it very very fascinating it is the the weird thing is and i didn't kind of put a lot of weight on it but there is some very interesting things in here um and it's all hearsay because this is the 1700s, hmm. you know but it was collectively stated that these women were uh, the ones that came to New Orleans, the the actual casket girls, that uh, the first set of mm. casket girls that had caskets with them. Um, they were explained by the men as caskets. Wrong. Uh, that's what they called them. Right. And uh, they that threw it off right from the beginning. Right. Because well, they called the because they fuckery for these people in the 1700s. They're trappers. They're miners. They're men. Walking wieners that kill. But also like poems. They know what a casket looks like. Right. Why would they call it a casket in their letters and in why would they call it that if it wasn't that to malign these women perhaps maybe media shit but why would they do that movie rights before the women even got off the fucking boat. Because they were like, these, they're being dicks before they came, speculating. Like, they're just going to be jerks, and we have no one to like, they won't like me and my stupid hair. Well, maybe, know. Um, you knows? know, that's, it's, it's possible. I doubt it. The thing is, they, these men should know what a casket looks like, right. and that's what they labeled these boxes the women came with. What my brain said was, uh, in history, prior to modern, the modern, modern day, even prior to my, Maybe it was prior to my mother growing up, but it ended with my mom's generation. Um, we had women were given hope chests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those hope chests are what you put. You collected things from the ages of 14 to 18 w- before you were married off or you got married. And in there was your first set of linens. It was your first set of dishes. It was things that you would need to keep a house. Okay. Now, I had a hope chest. But in my hope chest, I kept freaking books on lizards and that sounds like you. You know, <laughs> my hope chest was right. full of bugs and yeah. and this weird. beetle will be valuable in the future. This and will help me build a house and a home and a family. Well, that's what I put in my hope chest. <laughs> uh, I have a hope chest currently that belonged to your grandmother. Nice, and it's full of there's 
you know, knitted blankets and crocheted things in there. But the very top shelf has bones and sticks nice. <laughs> and rocks and a bowl of salt. So, I wonder what her hopes were because I saw how it all panned out for her. Uh, <laughs> the hope, she had high hopes. She did pretty good. She did all right. But uh, so, you know, I, I'm pushed to believe, uh, led to believe that these caskets were hope chests. Hmm. And that's why they came here. So very benign. Even to this day, when you look at old-fashioned hope chests from the early 1900s, they kind of, they don't look like caskets, but they were long and thin like a casket. Yeah. Guy can't make a trunk because he makes a casket? Fuck. But the second group of women came with cassettes, which were a third of the size. They could carry them themselves. Mm-hmm. And they had handles on the sides, and they were just like little boxes that had basic stuff in there. So... I don't know. I find it interesting, one, that the men called them coffins. Mm -hmm. You know, that was kind of uh, weird. The other thing was the women in the 1700s, didn't they know what tuberculosis was? Or was it not until the late 1800s that there was a diagnosis? That's That's a good question. They had a different name for it. What was it called? Consumption. Yeah, consumption. Right. Uh, I'm not sure on the history of that. Okay. I'm not I know sure it was a big either. Deal. It was a big deal in the, in the 19th century, early 19th century. Okay. So they must not have known what it was in the 17th. Like, who knows? But they could have still been suffering from it. Right. Yeah. Well, the women may have had that. They may have had mm-hmm. uh, come off the boat with the consumption. Blood. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So. I and there's all know. sorts of ways to get sick. Now, why are there coffin size holes <laughs> in the attic of the convent? I don't know. What is that? Were they spaces for beds? Could be. Maybe. That sounds fair. Okay. That's where my brain went. That's a possibility. Or it's just, um, I mean, how many were there that were missing? It didn't. She didn't. never right. did say the number of them. So if it was dozens and they all look like, that'd be a little suspicious. But if it's just a few, yeah. Who knows? Could be just circumstance or... No, I, now I'm trying to think. I think she did say the number. Maybe not the exact number, but she said a dozen, I think is okay. what she said. Well, that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What it was do you very, think? I, don't, I don't know. These are the things that my brain, these are the what ifs that are going on in my brain where I'm like, well, okay, let's think about this logically here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of folklore here. There's a lot of urban legend, obviously. Why did the nuns march through town? Right. That's another one. Mushroom. These women. We already who went were, through that mushrooms. <laughs> it does weird things, but it wore off real fast and then went right back to being like, no, no, no. Well, what were they carrying with them? Were they, they were dragging long boxes on they're wheels bootlegging. that were covered. They're bootlegging. People, they're like, it's a perfect way to make money for the That's church. That's reaching though, because there is zero evidence of that. I've seen movies There's, where. It's not even in the folklore. The friar's it's always drunk, so about. therefore that's all I need to know. Okay. The well, friar's drunk sometimes in, in Robin Hood. So I was going to say, you watched Disney's drunk. Robin Hood with the bear that was right. drunk. So I was thinking of the bear. Yeah, you were. And then I also, <laughs> flipped, I also flipped to the 17 other live action <laughs> versions of Robin Hood. I don't know. This was a fun one. Yeah, it was This fun. is a good one for Halloween. I'd never heard yeah. really any of that stuff. Well, we had a pretty spooky one last week. We've had a couple of creepy stories. This one had a creep factor to it that was yeah. fascinating to me. But I kind of want to, uh, I kind of wanted to steer us back to reality a little bit. Um, not for Halloween, but mm-hmm. for the start of next month. Right. Um, and this had a mix. Yeah, it did. And I find it fascinating that the history of New Orleans has folklore written into the fucking history. That's pretty cool. With the Casket Girls. It makes sense. Uh, yeah. It's probably the most, like you said mm-hmm. earlier at the beginning of this, it's probably one of the most unique places mm-hmm. on earth. Yeah. As far as city. I mean, there's lots of very old mm-hmm. cities that have all sorts of history. And right. Stuff. But for this new little place mm-hmm. in North America, 
the way it is. I want to go. I want to go there. Even if we can just take like a, a a quick weekend trip, like we can take a vacation. But if we could. Yeah, good luck. I know. I'd love to go there and just go to the French Quarter yeah. and have coffee and sit down in a restaurant somewhere and just feel the space. I would love to walk down the street and just absorb it. Um, and no, I've never been there. I want to go here. Well, no, I can't music. say that. We've been through right. that area. Uh, I went on a bus trip. I drove through that area, but we never went into New Orleans proper. Right. So I'd love to go. It's been a poll. Same with Lindsay and Dan. They've mm-hmm. been there a few times, though. They love it there. They See, were actually thinking <clears throat> at one point of moving uh, mm-hmm. part of the Suck Dungeon down to New Orleans. Right. Well, I remember driving through there, and one of the most, honestly, aside from the lady breaking the toilet on the bus, mm-hmm. the most remember, uh, the most memorable memory I have of taking the trip to Florida that I did was driving through Mississippi, uh, driving through Louisiana mm-hmm. and seeing the moss that hangs off the trees and the, the, the trees themselves that grow directly out of the swamp. Mm-hmm. To me, that was something about that was so special. Mm-hmm. I've never forgotten it. I've always wanted to go back and I've always, I, there was a smell about it too. A lot of people don't like the smell. I've always thought about that. I've, I don't know. There's, you like the smell? I do. Mm. I do like the smell. There's, there's a dampness to it. I don't know. Hmm. There's something there that's special, and I want to go. All right, fine. <laughs> well, give me, give me a, give me about a year and a half notice, okay. and I'll be able to let you know. Uh, all right. Okay. Okay. So, who is the dipshit this time? Oh. The dipshit. It's always a government. Kings, queens. The French government, for one. France, yeah. Uh, The fucking men. The men in New Orleans. The men in New Orleans. The original. New Orleans. New Orleans. Is it New Orleans? I have said New Orleans. People always say it differently. I don't know. And somebody's going to be living there and being like, no, it's this Well, it's either Nolans, New Orleans, New Orleans. Mm Mm-hmm. Nola. New Orleans. Nola. (laughs) Let's call it Nola. From now on. Anyways, um... The men that were there originally were fucking dipshits. Sounds like it. They were. Sounds I mean, like, if I can't imagine. I mean, it was kind of. It's a unique kind of person that wants to go across the ocean and and do all that stuff mm-hmm. and settle mm-hmm. and do these kind of things. It's a rough. Imagine how rough you'd have to be. Oh, I'm sure you have to be boat. a tough guy. But who in their right but mind would dick, be like? Still you know what these children. guys? You know what these violent, violent people need? They need a female. Yeah, I, Hello, violent criminal types. Your dream situation has arrived with a brand new human female 1701 plus by People Co. Fucking good God. A nice woman too. We want yeah. nice women. We want are, a we want a nice woman who can breed. Yeah. And so we're just going to gather them up and send them over there. If they kill them, that's all right. We got more. Yeah. Fucking dipshits. There's a lot of people on the earth that look at people that way. Terrible. We we devalue each other because there's too many of us for our brains to comprehend. Not too Mm -hmm. many of us for the planet. Not too many of us for all that stuff. I disagree with all those sentiments. Mm -hmm. But there's too many of us for our brains to comprehend. Mm -hmm. And so we're willing to throw each other away. Terrible, terrible. Yeah. So Anyways. All, all this was a terrible history. I'm glad we're moving forward yeah. as humanity and our morality. And right. Notice that it's better to treat people with respect than mm-hmm. it is to not. Unless uh, they're vampires. Unless they're vampires. Fuck <laughs> that. But they're biting people's Unless necks. they're bloodsuckers. They started it. Fuck. Mm-hmm. They got to feed. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening to the 30th episode of the Dipshit yes, Files. It feels 
Very nice to reach 30. Mm-hmm. Feels good. Felt like uh, yeah. five seconds ago we right. were five. Yeah, I know. And now here we are. It's weird. The, you know, looking into buying a podcast home. Yeah, or maybe. A yeah. Podcast vehicle. I don't know what the fuck I'm know. talking we're, about. We're working on it. Thank you to the turd triad of <laughs> Trusteds, the trusted turd triad. Yes. Our Bodie, our Don, and our Chris. Mm-hmm. All three of those folks uh, put a lot of effort into helping us and growing yeah. this stuff. And there's so many people that also work on that that uh, we call them the trusted turd council. Mm-hmm. And we'll work more on that in the future. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so thank you to everyone. Info yeah. at scatcast.com is mm-hmm. where you get a hold of us. Scatcast.com has all of the merch. There's tons of dipshit files merch there. Mm-hmm. Uh, shirts. There's, Monique even did a cartoon in my face at one point. <laughs> that but was I, fun. But a fuck me running shirt. But I haven't said it since. I know. I don't know why my brain's like that. Because you're a cunt. You're a, a contrarian. Cunt. Do, 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 how do, dare you? You're a cunt. How, contrarian <laughs> is how it's pronounced. <laughs> all right. Well, that's enough of us. We'll talk at you in the future. And it'll seem like the present. Bye. Bye. Bing. Whoa. No. Bye. <laughs> no. Ooh. <laughs>